Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, and streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. If you're interested in any of Walter's music, and thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVM-FM. If any of you out there listening are interested in community radio, WPVMFM.org is a good place to start. If you've been listening to this show for a while, and I hope you have, you know that I usually interview one guest, and we have a nice long conversation about whatever subjects we care to talk about, usually around culture, art, sometimes political science. And over the last five years, I've interviewed I don't know how many writers. I do that because I like language, I like writing, I enjoy poetry, and I've just been involved with the idea of how we express ourselves. I've been involved with that idea for as long as I can remember. And it has taken me in many, many different directions, all of the directions I'm really thankful for. And one of the directions I've gone in is to take an idea that I came up with many years ago, over 20 years ago, called the imaginative storm. And the imaginative storm is an approach to writing. And I came up with the imaginative storm idea when I was traveling around working with students in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and sometimes even in universities and colleges. And I also carried the imaginative storm writing approach into workshops I taught for adults. And that's when I started working with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, about 20 plus years ago. Allegra joined me when I was running the Artist Way Creativity Camps with Julia Cameron. And Allegra helped me out in one of the camps when she came to teach a a module on editing. Allegra had been working as a professional editor for years, even 20 years ago. She continues to do that to this day. So the first time we worked together was over 20 years ago when she talked about editing and taught people how to think about editing. And since that first creativity camp, Allegra and I have collaborated many, many times in workshops and on other projects. And we've been working together ever since. And in 2018, we decided to up the stakes a bit and create a publishing company, which we did. Little small publishing company. And we published two books, How to Edit and Be Edited and How to Read for an Audience. And from there, we started to think about all the work we had done around the imaginative storm and and how we had offered it to people in workshops. And we started to wonder how far we could go with the imaginative storm concept of writing from the imaginative storm and then taking your writing to the creative form. We started to think about what would happen if we spent focused time on developing the concept so that we came up with an entire writing program that would go along with our two little books, How to Edit and Be Edited and How to Read for an Audience. So we were thinking about this two years ago when COVID descended on us. I was in Asheville and we had been talking on the phone, Allegra and I, about where we wanted to go next. And when 
COVID came, I decided to leave Asheville and drive to Taos and take the Airbnb that Allegra had closed down, take it over as a rental, and live here in Taos next door to Allegra. That worked out well in terms of our proximity because we naturally created a COVID bubble. And of course, since we couldn't go anywhere at the time and didn't have anything else to do, we just continued our work, thinking about the imaginative storm and trying to figure out what other kinds of books we would like to publish. And we did indeed come up with a third book by Barry Barton. Barry is the director of TEDx Asheville. She also has a business in Asheville called Stand and Deliver. So we asked Barry if she would be interested in writing a book on how to give a speech. And of course, Barry said, absolutely, I would love to do that. And so she started that process a couple of years ago. Well, now we have a third book, How to Make a Speech by Barry Barton. After two years of focus work, it's a terrific little book, and we are really proud to have all three of them in the galley, plus this project that Allegra and I developed as well, the Imaginative Storm Writer Training. And the way that evolved, we were talking about what we could do with our workshops and teaching writing. And a friend of Allegra's came over, a friend of mine as well, her name was Wendy, and she stopped by and we were having tea, still in the bubble. And Wendy said, Allegra, I really love the way you wrote your memoir, Love Child. How did you do it? And Allegra said, well, I couldn't have done it without Nave's training, the imaginative storm training. I looked across the table and Allegra looked back at me and I said, training? Well, I've never thought about generating material, written material from a training point of view. I've always thought about it as a, a writing process. And Allegra smiled back at me and said, well, you know, I've never thought about it as training either. I wonder what would happen if we developed a training program for writers. Let's get together tomorrow and, and work it out. So the next day we got together and started working it out. We thought it would take a month. It took a year and a half for us to work this out, which we now have worked out. And in the middle of figuring out what we were going to do next, we realized it might be wise not only to put together teaching sessions we could offer, but also to write a book about it, a, a manual, if you will, a, a how-to book on our process, the imaginative storm process. The theme is writing from the imaginative storm to the creative form. And in the process of figuring out how to create the material for the book, we had long conversations about all kinds of things, conversations about conversations about how to write creatively, safety, how to be playful when you write, how to write about what you don't know. What about courage? What does that mean to us? How about writing without attachments? Then we thought of censorship. Of course, that's a big one. Criticism's another one. We discussed the idea of writing without trying. We talked about doubts. And we also, of course, naturally talked about writing blocks. What does a writing block mean? What does it mean to be blocked as a writer? Or are you ever blocked as a writer? Maybe a block is something that's an obstacle and not a block. How do you redefine it? 
So all of these ideas swirled around and swirled around until finally we came up with a book which we've just finished. And the book is titled The Imaginative Storm Writer Training. Write with ease and excitement in 10 sessions. So we now have the manuscript and we expect the book to be finished and published in the next couple of months. So as you've probably figured out already, it's taken us two years to end up with this manuscript, plus all of the other work that we've done. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I spend lots of time talking to people about writing books. People will come to me and they'll say, well, how do you write a book? What's involved in it? Barry came to us and said she would be happy to help us write a book about how to make a speech. It took Barry two years to write her book. So if you are thinking about writing a book, if you have a story to tell and you'd like to get it out in the world, and you think pen to paper is the way you'd like to go about it, I thought you might be interested in just knowing a little bit about what goes into that. True, you do have to sit down and generate the material. Sometimes people will sit down and generate the material longhand in a notebook or on loose pieces of paper. Other people will dictate it. Other people sit down and type it in the traditional manner on the computer, getting up in the morning and working from eight till noon, the four hours, getting a few thousand words, stopping and then coming back the next day. Actually, all of those methods are legitimate. All of those methods work really well. The way Allegra and I created the Imaginative Storm Writer training book, we realized from the beginning we couldn't just sit down and write a book about how to free your imagination and let your imagination lead the dance with your rational mind in a creative process that will eventually get something to, to emerge. We understood that all of our conversations Everything we did, all the notes we took, all the conversations we had with other people, all the experiences we brought to the table, were part of our research. We had to do all of this imaginative stormy work in order to finally be able to put the book together. So in the end, it did require that we actually sit down, type it up, and turn it into a manuscript. But what came before that was a whole lot of messy work. We first started the process after we had spent a year working on the, on the sessions, the modules, all of the ideas. We started the process by sitting down in front of a video camera and recording everything. We recorded hours of research before we ever put pen to paper or fingers to keyboards. So if you are thinking about writing a book, just know there's a lot more to it than sitting down and typing or putting your pen to the paper. This is good news because much of your work is done and it's great fun to do all the research, to have the conversations, to read over the notes. So when you look at it from that point of view, even though there's more work because you don't have to sit down at your typewriter or your pad and force think the story out from the beginning until the end. It's more organic. It flows if you allow it to flow. So what I'd like to do now is give you an example of one of the sessions Allegra and I had. And it's a session on blocks. 
we sat and we talked and then we used that conversation as our research we transcribed the conversation and took the notes from the transcription and put some of those notes into the book so when you are developing your work keep in mind there are lots of ways to go about it and you don't have to do it all by yourself generating material is about collaboration with other people as well as thinking about it on your own. So you have all kinds of options. So as an example of collaboration, what I would like to offer you now is the conversation or one of the many conversations Allegra and I had about all kinds of subjects around writing and creativity. This one is about blocks. We were exploring the idea of how to deal with the writer's block. You've probably thought you've had writer's block before. Maybe you have. How do you deal with it? What does it mean? So this conversation took place in Allegra's living room. We just sat in a couple of chairs and we talked and we recorded it. And I start the conversation by wondering what people mean when they say writer's block. When people say writer's block, what are they talking about? Well, exactly. That's the thing that we have to figure out. And people say it all the time. It's like such a common excuse. Endemic to writers, they suffer from writer's block. It kind of gives you this imprimatur of being a real writer if you actually have writer's block. Writer's block is sort of like a pathology. When people use the phrase, it's like I've got leukemia, I've got writer's block. It's like it's something completely out of your control. Mm -hmm. It's a disease. Hopefully it will go soon. There's just nothing I can do to fight it. It's beyond the, my control. It, it's like having been in a car accident. But actually what I think we're saying is that it's not that. It's not a condition. It's not a disease. It's not a sort of visitation from the unkind fates. It's a matter of technique. There are strategies for making it disappear. It's not a block. Unless you look at I'm blocked as something that's not permanent. I'm blocked is passive. That's so interesting about it. I'm blocked. I am the passive recipient of a blockage snow's too deep, you're blocked, you've got to figure out how to get out. Right, exactly. Um, and the snow is blocking you. But when you have writer's block, what's blocking you? There is no snow here. There is no outside force that's blocking you. It's, it's you. You are the one that, for whatever reason, is stopping yourself from feeling inspired. Now, I'm afraid of height. So, in a way, my fear of height blocks me from going over the mountain pass. In heights, yeah, I go to my knees. Right. I have no control over it. I have to really you fight had it, my that, way But that's out. not true. That's not true. You were able to drive a car. You had plenty of control. This is your story you're telling yourself. This is interesting. This well, is your story you're telling yourself, and writer's block, similarly, is a story that people are telling themselves. I don't have a fear of heights, but if I stand on the edge of a high cliff, of course I'm going to be afraid because I might very easily fall. Yeah. That's reasonable. Or when I drive across the Gorge Bridge, I drive as fast as I can, and I don't look to right or left. But, so you're not blocked. You're still able to drive across the bridge. But I am bridge. saying that the fear is there. And the fear is there for not being able to write well enough. The fear is there for not being able to make this story work. 
The fear is absolutely there, but that doesn't mean it has to block you just like it didn't block you from driving over that pass or driving over the gorge bridge. But when you tell yourself the story, I can't do it. In the next sentence, you tell me you just did it. You said, I'm blocked. I can't drive over that high mountain pass. But I did. Well, you obviously did. Otherwise, you couldn't have said you can't do it. You see what I mean? So you're contradicting yourself in your own story. And what I'm trying to get at is that's exactly what people who say they have writer's block. So this is very helpful. But what I'm getting at is that I can get over the mountain, but I am terrified the whole time. Right. I'm sweating. My mouth is dry. I'm almost incapable. Because you are having to do it as an act of sheer will. And the difference here is that we are saying, if writer's block is that mountain pass, you can get over it. It doesn't require an act of sheer will, which is what most people think. It simply requires different techniques. On the terror end of it, I don't think this is true with everybody. I think most of the people are in the middle and they say they're blocked because they think they're supposed to say they're blocked. But some people may actually have a terror of it. Yes, absolutely. And I remember I was writing some poetry but he just said, well, this is awful. You know, X, 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 mm-hmm. X. So that's somebody who doesn't know how to edit. I, you know, this <laughs> Hello? is just, gee whiz, man, you can't be saying you're a poet if you're doing this stuff. It was almost like he was disgusted. I've never read another word to him. It didn't block me. I'm now feeling like I'm dividing writer's block into three different conditions. The first one is that one. Really genuine, feeling so beat up. You don't know if you can even continue and you don't know what to do. So, okay, so that, but that's one kind. The second kind is that we also have already mentioned, which is the kind where you feel that in order to be a real writer, you have to say you have writer's block and it makes you part of the gang. Mm-hmm. It's an identity thing, identity complaint. Third, which we haven't yet talked about, is I think possibly actually the most common, and that is a genuine thing where you just have no inspiration. You're just dull, stale, flat, and unprofitable. Mm-hmm. It's just blah. You can't think of anything, nothing sparky, there's no energy. You sit down every day to try and write because real artists show up every day and it's just a slog and nothing comes. And I think that's actually what people really mostly mean. It's just this gray fog of zero energy and nothing of any interest coming out. You're tired before you even start and nothing's coming. So people are genuinely describing things that hinder them or block them. Obviously that does genuinely hinder you. So what we're trying to do is we're not saying that people aren't held back. We're saying the block might be the wrong way to describe it. We're saying that the block is not a sort of visitation upon you. It's something that you can do something about And there are techniques, literally techniques, for making it dissipate. So it's not like picking the block up and moving it away, like a roadblock or something. It's actually kind of zapping it so it just disappears. Okay, so let's just say that the hindrance or the block sometimes can be huge. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it does feel like it comes from nowhere. That stale, dull, flat, unprofitable Mm -hmm. grayness does sort of descend on you from nowhere. You suddenly are living in a dark cloud as a writer. Suddenly all your creativity, there isn't any. 
It's gone. Where did it go? Who knows? Are we saying that we can help that person too? I think we are. And I would suggest, now that I'm thinking about it, I would suggest that one of the problems for those people is that they're trying to write what they know and not what they don't know. And they're bored of what Mm. they know. And they haven't got ways of prompting themselves to write what they don't know. Yeah, so being blocked is maybe they're just squeezed into this small channel or uh-huh. squeeze That's nice. down. And so it's not a block, it's just a squeeze. And so the only way they know to go is down this little narrow path, thread this tiny needle. Whereas when you're wide open, there's plenty of room to move here. So I guess when you're narrow like that, and there's an obstacle in the way, it does look big. Or you have this idea of what it is you want to write or you're supposed to write. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you've got a two-book contract. You're supposed to be writing a novel. You've got one idea for it. I'm speaking from personal experience here. And it just won't come. For whatever reason, it's just not interesting you. It's not exciting mm-hmm. you. You are blocked. So how do you get around that? First of all, you have to give up your attachment to writing that particular idea. Maybe there are completely unexpected things you can throw into the mix, or maybe you just go somewhere else completely. I don't know. You have to get out of the constriction of that thing that you feel blocked on. So what if you looked at the block as a source of of information? I'm feeling blocked, so... Well, there's good information in that. Let's take our three kinds of writer's block and see what the information is. The first one is... I have been told by other people that I cannot write, I cannot do this, and I'm believing them. That's information. And the information you got from the block is you are being influenced by other people's opinions of one thing you wrote, or Mm. possibly not even that. The second one is just you want to be part of the gang, and you're saying you're blocked because it's a racket. That's basically just a racket. Mm -hmm. So... We'll have to find a way of saying what that information is, but it is a racket. And then the third one, you just have no inspiration. You're just, you know, dull, stale, flat, and unprofitable. Mm -hmm. It's just blah. Information there is you need to completely shake up what it is that you want to write. Write something completely unrelated to this novel that's not going anywhere, write a villanelle, (laughs) write some limericks, just write anything that's completely different. What it's telling you is that storyline or that project is not inspiring you, but that doesn't mean that you're in the wrong. We're saying that there are different ways to approach this, but it's not a disease that's out of your control, and it's not really a disease at all. It's a condition of varying degrees of severity. And so what we've discovered in most cases, you don't need to have surgery, you just need an aspirin. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. So what we have, we have these horrible, I'm so blocked, I'm so blocked. So one of the solutions, I'm gonna drink. So I'll just go out and party all night. So you medicate yourself without the right medication. (laughs) Yeah. Medication that will cure this, you were born with, which is your imagination. Mm -hmm. That's the medication. If you rely on your imagination, then you can reimagine the block and it becomes something else. Being able to alchemize a block into an asset is really a matter of imagination. And, And understanding that this thing that I'm calling a block, 
can be renamed. I like the idea of alchemizing, but I'm still a bit concerned that we could actually ever call it an actual asset. I feel like we can get people to understand that you can vaporize it. Because the whole point is you don't want it to be there anymore. You don't want it to be an asset. You want it to just not exist. Okay, you have that block and you think, oh, this is holding me back. And then you go, okay, putting my imagination to work. The things you were calling a block, you rename them, you repurpose them. All these things that create the blocks are actually resources for your writing if you look at them from a different point of view. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that the block itself can be the story. And you have to change your way of looking at it. The other night, I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep, so I started scanning Facebook. Get all my friends out having a great time with their drinks, leaning against the sign that says, Welcome to the beach. So-and-so's in New York. On it went. The point is, as soon as I felt it come on, I thought, okay, what kind of information do you have here? What is this telling you? How can you take this feeling and move it into your art, into your mm -hmm. work, into your life, mm -hmm. so that it is constructive. I knew how to take that feeling and make it valuable for me, mm -hmm. make it work for me, mm -hmm. giving me information about what I needed to do. The idea is these techniques are the techniques that shake it away. You thought it was a big ogre standing in your path, and actually it was a little gerbil little sharp pointed thing but it wasn't a big ogre that's what we're aiming for really that the ogre isn't an ogre it's a gerbil ogres are myths the thing waiting under the bridge to grab you the chupacabra is a myth those are myths those big things that you cannot overcome mm -hmm. are myths when you believe something and then you discover it to be a myth what happens to that thing? It vaporizes, it shrinks, it, it evaporates, it deconstructs. It's not there anymore. It's just not there. That's the idea. I mean, yes, you might feel that way. Mm -hmm. You might feel blocked. You might feel that. So we're not saying nobody's ever going to feel that way. We're not saying for the rest of your life, you will never feel blocked. You will never feel uninspired. You will never feel uncreative. You will, because it's a mood. If you do this work enough and you do start to feel blocked, you won't care because you know how to get out of it. The feeling will come, but it won't turn into a block, a blockage, because you know exactly what to do. So if you want to carry on saying you're blocked because, you know, it feels good for whatever reason in the moment, you can do that. <laughs> but you know you'll be able to get out of it whenever you really want to. <laughs> so what happens when you feel writer's block. What does that feel like? When I have described my own writer's block, I felt doubt. I have felt like I didn't know enough to do what I needed to do. I felt stifled because I didn't know enough, didn't have the skill. I felt small, maybe intimidated by the people around me. I have tended to compare myself to others. I've tended to feel inadequate from a competitive point of view. I have felt sad because I thought I would never get anywhere with anything. Well, angry, powerless, lost, ignored. Felt like I was in the little boy's table. So busy trying to mimic 
the rest of the people that I never realized that my category was radio. Mm-hmm. I never realized my voice was my greatest asset. That's interesting. So you actually felt blocked because you were going down the wrong path. But let's say you have the calling to write and you have this idea you're going to be the great novelist. You're trying to write the great American novel and it's you have writer's block. It's not coming. You have no inspiration. You have no creativity. Mm-hmm. You're writing with this very specific goal in mind, this very specific objective this idea of what you should be, mm-hmm. of what you want to be. You should, for yourself, what you want to be. That's what the block is, I think. And the answer to it is you have to give that up. You can't get through that block head on. You can't just muscle your way through it like a bull. I don't think that works. I mean, maybe you'll come back to it. But I think you have to say, well, maybe I'm in the wrong arena. Maybe I'm going down the wrong path. Why don't I try literally writing limericks instead of trying to create this, you know, novel that speaks to the world we live in today? What if I write little historical essays about something completely different? Or what if I write about bird watching or cookery? You know, and it's like, well, I don't want to. Yes, but being attached to what you want is what's causing the block. That's what the block is. You can't negotiate with it. You can't say, well, I still want to write the novel, so I'm going to pretend I'm not writing the novel and try and get around my block. But that doesn't work. And that's probably what most people have tried, and that's Mm. why they couldn't get around their block. They're trying to pull a fast one on Mm -hmm. it, pull a cheat, and that just doesn't work. You may be in the wrong arena, The point is, if it's not exciting your imagination now, you got to do something else. I didn't know who I was from a writer's point of view. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. When Moon was really suffering with her memoir, that was certainly a big part of it. She was stuck in stories. There were a couple of things that were stopping her. One is she was stuck in stories. Two, she wasn't really seeing what the dynamics were. And three, she was stuck in the idea of what a memoir was supposed to be. And she was trying to fit into that format, which didn't suit. She was like, well, I I can't just sort of end up saying, oh, you know, and here I am today and I'm so happy. It just doesn't work that way. So I said, well, why do you have to end that way? That's the pattern, right? So she was trying to fit into the pattern instead of creating her own pattern. So I said, you don't have to end it today. You can end it 20 years ago if you want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she was like, oh my God, really? Sure, why not? (laughs) And so she's like, yeah. You know, that idea of not know what you said, not knowing yourself as a writer, I think that's also very often the case with people who are sort of trying to write the great American novel and are suffering from writer's block. Trying to do something outside themselves. They have an idea of what the book is rather than it originating and coming up from within. An exterior pattern or an exterior objective. When you say I'm blocked, what you're saying is I'm not in the arena that will allow me to know myself. So the block is telling me that I need to shift my focus and find another way to know who I am. Basically, the block is I'm not able to do this specific thing that I 
have an idea of and I am aiming toward. Yeah. Nobody's blocked just from writing randomly. And so when I'm thinking about how I felt in the slam, I love the community. I love those people. I admire everybody. And yet in the poetry slam, I always felt a little intimidated, blocked, if you will, held back, not sure exactly why. Maybe it was because I admired everybody. And maybe it was more, not a block, but like a sticky web, like be caught in honey, oozed down to a small crawl or a slow crawl. The air is wrong, the oxygen's wrong, yeah. something's wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not right. able to... The mixture's wrong. But now that I've stepped so far back from it, yeah. I am now writing in my own voice the way I like to do it. I have none of that because I'm in a different flow. Mm -hmm. So maybe when people talk about blocks, it's a cry for self. I don't think any answer applies to everybody. Right. When it comes to what you mean when you say, I'm blocked. That's a really interesting one. It's a big one. It's a cry for self. I love that phrase. What does that actually mean? What is a cry for self? When, when one cries for self, who am I? Yeah. Where do I belong? How do I fit myself in? Not how do I fit in? It's like when I say, how do I fit in? It's like, well, I need somebody's permission. No. How do I find a place where I fit? It may be that you have such a fixed or constricted, narrow idea of where you fit, and the block is telling you... You don't belong here. You need to leave this place. Expand your range of possibility. And you fit. And once you fit... And when you fit, it feels like home. I don't think we're saying, do this course and you'll know where you fit. All we're saying is that blockage is giving you the information that you are trying to fit yourself into a hole that doesn't fit you. So when you think of your block as a hole that doesn't fit you, instead of a block, it changes your perspective. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I don't fit. I now know what this is. Mm -hmm. I have been misidentifying mm -hmm. this thing. This is a place where I've landed that's telling me, you need to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You can't be here. You mm -hmm. have to go over here. Mm -hmm. This is not your spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the block becomes like a communication opportunity yeah. with self. I am in the wrong place. That's why mm -hmm. I feel this way. Mm -hmm. Then the question is, where is my right place? Now, from a writing point of view, we're assuming that the imagination, we were born with the imagination, the imagination you were born with and the voice you were born with is the right place for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if And you, what form that's going to take, we don't know. The will, only way you can find that out is by exploring. Expanding your vision. Having a less rigid view of what you should be right. writing. So the horizon becomes vast rather than narrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, once you have that, you think, okay, wow, I don't quite know where I'm going to go, but I now have options. Yeah. Somehow... The myth of the block is, this is my singular option. I've got to get through it. I've got to get around it. I've got mm -hmm. to fight it. Because this is the only idea I this have, is, and is, I'll never write a novel if I, I can't, I can't do this. I've got to get through this, Tim. And, and you don't ever stop to think, well, wait a minute. No, I just have to walk around over here. Yeah. I was talking about using those rants, writing the novel. There were days I was just like, I don't care. I don't know what happens next. I just have to write for half an hour every day, so I'm going to write about nail salons. 
how much I hate nail salons, how stupid I think the whole concept is. Again, it's fine. At least it keeps you moving. And then you think, oh, well, actually, maybe my character hates nail salons. Oh, why would she hate nail salons? Well, because her fingernails are dirty, and she actually likes her fingernails being dirty. Why would she like her fingernails being dirty? And, and off you go. Yeah. Now, going back for a moment to the artist way, which is about freeing yourself from the blogs, what underlies that is if you allow yourself to become more and more and more creative without any kind of boundaries, mm. the blocks will just start to shrink. Mm -hmm. and, and that actually works. Mm -hmm. And that's why people like the artist way because suddenly I don't feel as blocked anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's because I'm not thinking about it. I'm just over here making yeah, pies or something. You yeah. know? And so whenever you engage the creative process, no matter whether it's writing or not, you just simply feel more open. Mm -hmm. And then right. you stop saying it's a block. What happens, I think, is you get bored of the block. You do. When you're invested in the block, but when you take your attention away from it, it automatically shrinks and you genuinely become bored of it. And that's what makes it vaporize. I think the idea is that you can become bored of being blocked, and that's a good thing. Not yeah. annoyed about being blocked, you know, not frustrated, not just, just bored. For me, it's just simply that you're going down the wrong path or your path is too narrow. It doesn't matter how big the obstacle is. Thing. If you build a bridge across the gorge, you can go over it fairly easy. Yeah. Even if it is an ogre, if you widen the road enough, you can get around it. The key is always to widen the road. So we come back to the imaginative storm. The storm clears the way, gets rid of the underbrush, makes room to widen the road. And the storm also clears the way for new growth. And new growth naturally comes when the storm comes through. Right, very good, nice. <laughs> good. I mean, in some ways, the ogre is still there. Yeah, exactly. They might be information, but they might simply be genuine blocks. I mean, let's say you were the kind of person that really was devastated. If you were that kind of person, you could still be carrying that. Easily. Easily. And many are. But if you widen the road, okay, I don't have to be that kind of poet. I don't have to be a poet at all. I don't have to be the kind of poet that he admires. I could be John Donne or T.S. Eliot or Edward Lear. I could invent a new form of poetry. Maybe I'm not okay, fine. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll write prose poetry. Who cares? Maybe I'll write a screenplay. Right, yeah. All of those things are widening the road. And that ogre may still be there, and you may never want to attempt another sonnet in your life or another piece of poetry in that down-the-middle-of-the-road poetic kind of thing. You know, you're never going to try and write a poem that would be in an anthology next to Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. That ogre is still there. But that doesn't mean you can't write. It doesn't mean you don't have a voice. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to express yourself even if that ogre is still there. But actually, you can defang that ogre by saying, well, that was his opinion, you know, who died and made him poetry monitor. I don't want to diminish the sort of ogreness. If there is a genuine ogre, I don't want to say you're the idiot for thinking it's an ogre. Acknowledge it's an ogre, but say the way to deal with an ogre is to widen the path. So the size remains the same. It may be possible to diminish its size, or you may be able to turn the ogre into a gerbil, 
or it may still be just as scary and just as big an ogre, but you're able to put enough distance between you and it to get around it. Or you might find that the ogre wasn't an ogre at all. You just thought it was, and you make friends with it. A million options that you have with this ogre, the blocky ogre. Once you understand that you are the one in charge. Yeah, it's not a disease that was visited upon you by the malignant fates. And you have the power the creative power to expand that view. Everybody mm-hmm. has it. You were born with it. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is open your arms and do it. You have the power to expand the view. And it's available to you. All you have to do is just open up. Open up your range of possibilities. The myth is that the ogre blocks the path. The with ogre the, itself may or may not be a myth. The myth is this ogre is stopping me. Yes. But the truth is it's not. You're just walking in the wrong direction. Or, or you're walking straight at the ogre and not, not widening the path around yeah. it. You know, you could consider taking a detour. Go the long way around. It's fine. At least you get past it. You and know. it is the long way around. That's interesting. Well, why should I write limericks or something that's not what I want to write? Okay, that's the long way around. But sometimes you have to take the long way around. If there's a landslide on the road, you have to take the long way around. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll be there forever trying to dig your way through the landslide. Just take the long way around. You know, we're not promising people who want to write the great American novel that if they give up trying to write it, they will be able to eventually write it 20 years from now. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Who knows? Trying to face down the ogre is clearly not working for you, so do something different. This is how you widen the path. Whether you choose to take it or not is up to you. This is how you find ways around the ogre. So Allegra closes out the discussion she and I had by framing writer's block around an ogre, or it could be a troll under a bridge, or any kind of obstacle that you might have experienced in your life. The point of the conversation that I just offered is twofold. One gives you an idea of how Allegra and I unpacked the notion of writer's blocks. We started out with the question, do writer's blocks exist? And then we just talked it through for 45 minutes or so. So you could see how starting out with a question and then just talking about it generates all kinds of ideas, puts things together you might not have thought of before, like the writer's block being an ogre. And then, of course, the second reason It gives you an idea of how you can go about writing material within the subject frame that that you're working with. So with that in mind, it opens up some opportunities for you to approach telling your story in different ways beyond just sitting down at the desk and typing or writing longhand, which both are perfectly fine. And I do that a lot. I love to write longhand. I have journal after journal and I have a great waterman pen and every morning I get up and write my morning pages and uh, write notes all day long so there's nothing wrong with generating material longhand that said there's everything right about expanding your approaches so that you have many different ways of getting the material out I know I'm better at speaking than I am writing And I've just recently realized I have a fair amount of dyslexia. I didn't really understand that when I was going to school. And I never figured out that it was 
my dyslexic inclinations that steered me wrong when I was trying to do math. Even to this day when I add numbers up, I'll sometimes or often 328 becomes 382 and 431 becomes 413. And I have no idea I've done that. And another thing that might surprise you from a dyslexic point of view, when I read text and try to record it onto a radio show like the one I'm doing now, I can get through a paragraph fine. But when I get to the second paragraph, I start to stumble. I get confused, befuddled really, and somehow the words flip around. Now that may not be dyslexia, I'm diagnosing myself. Don't recommend that for you to diagnose somebody else or even yourself, but you could try it if you like. I have diagnosed myself, and I do know, even if I'm not dyslexic, I certainly get excited and get the numbers and the words confused. So when I sit down to write longhand, I tend to flip the letters. Even if I know how to spell a word, I will reverse those letters. So when you read my messy text on a piece of paper, you'll notice that I'm not getting everything right. It's really, really messy, which is another reason why I'm really happy to have found some different options for getting my material out. For example, right now I'm sitting at the desk finishing this show. It's 6 a.m. in the morning. I have a bit of tea in front of me and I'm just talking. I'm composing, if you will, and yet I'm not writing it down and then reading it to you. That's easier for me than writing it down and then trying to hold the page and reading the text that I've written. Some people would find improvisational speaking like this very difficult. I find it a relief mostly because I have such a difficult time doing it the other way. So all of this is to say that we have many different ways of approaching our storytelling. Which brings me back around to talking about blocks. Many people will say they're blocked because they can't spell or they don't know where to put a comma. Maybe that's one of the things that you said in the past. Gee, I don't really know how to spell. I don't know grammar, so I can't be telling my story. Well, when you think about storytelling and you think about the many dialects in the country and the many ways we go about telling our stories through language, through music, through written text, through all the sources that we have. The oral tradition is where it all started. If you've ever traveled at all, even a small distance from where you were born, you probably have noticed that the accents change. Not necessarily every 25 miles, but certainly every 100 miles. Each region has its own way of expressing the essence of its existence. And when you look at it from that point of view, the things that we call blocks become smaller and smaller. In the conversation Allegra and I had, we talked about how people describe a block and they start looking at it closer and moving down into it, getting closer to it, trying to break it up, trying to take the hammer and bang away at it until eventually it dissipates. 
you could go at it, as we said, from the other point of view, where you pull back and you start to look at it from the broader perspective. So one of the pulling back broader perspectives would be, I tell my story, I speak my story. The, the accent that I have, the dialect that I speak, is exactly the right accent, right dialect, for the purpose of who I am. It expresses exactly where you are coming from, and you're starting with the original aspect of you, the first utterance you made when you were a baby. If you tie yourself to that, if you appreciate that impulse, you will find you can grow your story in lots of different ways. And all of those ways become delivery systems to tell the world or tell a few people exactly what you're thinking, where your truth is, what your story happens to be. And like Allegra and I discussed in the conversation you just heard between us, we are in no way discounting all of the, the tough stuff, the psychological areas that slow people down, slow you down. We all have them. Question is, what do you do with them? So for us, we sat down and recorded hours of conversations like the one you just listened to. Then we sent the recorded conversations off to a transcription service, and within a couple of hours, the text came back, and we were looking at what we had said, and it was in written form, and we didn't have to sit down and type it up. We didn't have to transcribe it. Didn't have to do any of that. There it was. Lots and lots and lots of conversations all stacked up in what you might consider a manuscript or a, a, a really, really rough draft of us talking. And then from there, we went through all of it, pulled out the ideas, and that's how we were able to construct what is now our, our book, which we just finished a couple of days ago, The Imaginative Storm Writer Training, Write with Ease and Excitement in 10 Sessions. Two years after we started working on the project, we now have a finished manuscript that actually will appear as text on a page. So the process from the original idea to the text on the page and a book has taken us, as I said, at least a year and a half, maybe more to, to work with it. And it all started 20 plus years ago when I was working with students and stood in front of a class and said to the students, would you like to storm your imaginations? And they all said, sure, I'd love to storm. We'd love to storm our imaginations. And, and what student wouldn't like to do that? We all like that kind of playfulness. So this entire project rose out of the playfulness that emerged when I was working with elementary school students and middle school students and high school students. So when you think about writing your story, telling your story, you may have a memoir. You may be thinking, I have a story to tell. The world needs to hear it. Keep in mind all of the work that you've done up to this point. And when I say all of the work, I mean the living that you have done is the research that you've already completed that will help you tell the story. And it's not something you sit down and start today. It's a project that you can 
incorporate into your ongoing life and draw from your past previous experiences. And a way to get started with that, here, here's a tip for you to, to launch your memoir or whatever you'd like to, to work with. When you're thinking about the stories you would like to tell and you're thinking, where do I start? You can start in 10-minute bursts of writing and you can do that by recording it or longhand writing or writing it with your computer or videoing the material with your iPhone or your smartphone. So here's the phrase you can start with. Before I give you the phrase, think of a memory you have, something long ago or nearby, or maybe a memory of a room that you're very familiar with, maybe the bedroom that you're not in right now, or maybe the kitchen you're not in right now if you're in your bedroom, and write about what you don't remember. So here's how this works. You get yourself in a mood, and the mood being the memory mood, and you try to remember something that's, that you think is familiar to you. Maybe it's your workplace and this is the weekend and you're off, right? So you think about that place, get it in your mind, and then start by writing this line, I don't remember. So you start out by not remembering the things you remember. And what you will notice when you start with I don't remember, your internal critic those blocks that you thought you had will diminish. Your vision will get broader like Allegra and I talked about. And when you're writing about things you don't remember, you let yourself off the hook. No pressure. I'm just writing about things I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what time it was when I got up this morning. I don't remember how many steps I took to the sink. I don't remember how long the water boiled before I poured the water into the cup and made my tea. I don't remember exactly what time it was I sat down and started working on this radio show that I'm offering you right now. There's so many things you don't remember and yet when you're working with the not remembering you start to remember more things. So that's your writing tip of the day and also, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our conversation about blocks in this musing that I've done throughout this hour that we are spending together. And so on that note, the hour's almost up. And I would like to say thank you for listening to this show, Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. And we're always broadcasting first on WPVMLP, Asheville, North Carolina, 103.7, and streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world. And on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in any of Walter's music. Hats off to Devine Dial for managing the radio station, WPVMFM. If you're interested in community radio, WPVMFM.org, great place to start. And if you 
would like to write with Allegra and write with me, we gather every Saturday morning on Zoom for our regular Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week session. Since we gather on Zoom, and the door is always open for anybody who wants to come, we have people dropping in from Johannesburg in South Africa, from Kigale in Rwanda, London, Paris, and all over the United States. So it's a really great gathering of folks, and we're happy to invite you to come. So you can find out more about that at imaginativestorm.com. That's imaginativestorm.com. And if you would like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. That's how you can find me. And nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And just a little aside, my family name is pronounced Nave, N-A-V-E. And somebody once said to me years ago, Oh, Nave is fine, but Nave is so much more fun. So that's how Nave came to be. And on that note, I would like to close with a quote from the poet Charles Wright, which will give you an idea of where the imaginative storm name came from. Here's your quote. What is it about a known landscape that tends to undo us, that shuffles and picks us out for terminal demarcation, the way a field of lupine, seen in profusion, deep in the timber, suddenly seems to rise like a lavender ground fog at noon? What is it inside the imagination that keeps surprising us at odd moments when something is given back we didn't know we had had in solitude? spontaneously and with great joy so my friends the idea is great joy thank you ever so much for listening please do tune in again next time and until then i will catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line